Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Let's take a moment before we do, and uh, can we just be quiet together? Let's become aware that we are in the presence of Christ this morning. Well, my wife calls my phone. Sorry. We are in the presence of Christ uh, today. He is among us. Let's just take a moment to be thankful. We thank you, Jesus, today that you are the head of your body, which is the church. You are over all and in all. You are all in all. And just as we sang this morning, God, we don't want to miss one word you speak. We hear many words in our days. And we thank you, Lord God that your words are power and your words are life. And so this morning as we open up the scripture, we thank you to take us beyond the pages and into your heart. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yes. In the next 23 minutes, we're gonna go to heaven and back, all right? It's gonna be awesome. What a great time of worship this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 4. We have been in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae uh, for, the, for, for a while now, um, and we are wrapping up, all right? So this is uh, the second to last week. Last week will be the official end of Colossians, but what, what I love about this week is that in light of everything that we've been in, in this letter, everything that we have read so far, um, today we look at kind of a couple closing words from Paul, and these are two imperatives, two instructions that he would bless this young church with. Um, This church was growing in their faith. Rumors were circulating all over Asia Minor, and uh, and Paul was writing to them, though he had never visited this city. He's writing as a father would write to his children, and we hear that parental instinct in the tone as he's writing. Last week, we talked a little bit about how we ought to live as the church. In chapter 3, it's beautiful, it's rich, it's robust. It's talking about what the kingdom life looks like, what we take off and what we put on as life in the kingdom, and then how husbands and wives ought to treat each other, children and parents, and different relationships. We we looked at that, and so in light of those things, he continues in chapter 4, and so let's read this in verse 2. He starts here, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open 
to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Amen? So last week, we were talking about what it looks like to renew our minds. And it was awesome, because one of the, the last exercises of the morning, I handed out this whole list, three or four pages, of these identity statements that we find in Scripture, that we can start to try them on as if we were trying on clothes. Any shoppers in the room? You like trying things on. Well, this should have been a good exercise because we have identity statements. How many of you guys tried on some of these identity statements these, this week? Yeah, lots of us. How many of you got like a text or a message from somebody just to remind you of who you are? Yeah. So it was fun because right after the service, I, uh, I, you know, I was thinking, I probably better do this because I assigned the entire church to do this. So I better do it myself, right? It's generally good practice. And so I went back and I, I saw my friend Nate and we exchanged two identity statements, and he said, man, this one sticks out to me. Can you remind me of this this week? And his, his was, you were surrounded by the favor of God, right? I was like, yeah, I'll do that. He's like, what, what can I do for you? I was like, okay, how about this one? I am victorious in Christ. It's like, yes, I need more of that in my life. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And so I was stoked because I'm like, all right, I'm going to beat him to the punch tomorrow morning. And uh, so I did. So Woke up in the morning, sent him a text message, and said, Nate, you are surrounded by the favor of God today. Smiley emoji, you know, right? High five emoji, thumbs up emoji, like all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and uh, he responded, and he said, thanks. And then within like the next hour, uh, I was expecting, you know, him to return the favor. So here's, here's what he did. He, he texted me back. Here's what he says. Luke, you are a victor through Jesus, and you teach others to be victorious as well. You have a deep understanding of the secrets of heaven, and you are sowing those in yourself, your family, and the people at Vine Life and beyond. You are causing the kingdom of God to advance in ways that, that, that catches the enemy off guard. You have a specific gift of being able to crack into areas of darkness that many others miss and don't know how to deal with, don't worry about the things you can't control or don't know how to solve. Be confident in the leadership and stewardship that you have been given and keep your desire for approval and accomplishment solely inside the heart of the Father. Feed on this joy and you will find rest. Keep marching with confidence and you will continue to advance God's kingdom to many places. God bless you, Luke. <laughs> so he upped the ante just a little, right? Right? Now, I don't, share with, I don't share that with you to, like, to say, look, how, look at this awesome prayer I got, but, but just take a note. This, how, this is how people in the kingdom of God ought to speak. This is natural for us. This is not how the world speaks. We are a different mind. The way we are to address one, to, one another is to call each other into a new reality. And that's part of what we're getting into today. There was another story that came this last week Somebody in the congregation said that the, the word that they, they felt like they, they landed with last week was this identity statement, I am, let me, let me read this out, I am overtaken and chased down by the blessings of God. Woo! 
I'm overtaken. So they left, they left the service last week with this, with this statement. I am overtaken and chased down by the blessings of God. And then midway through the week, they sent me a text. They're like, you won't believe this. This, this family has actually been praying for provision for a while. And uh, it was cool because uh, I got a text message from this person. And, and she said, uh, you won't believe this, but I've been declaring this all week. And I just, out of the blue got a message that we were just refunded $5,000 from an, a, a transaction that happened earlier this year. And, and just totally unexpected, totally out of the blue. And she's like, I, I really feel chased down and overtaken by the blessings of God right now. So, yeah, come on. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know how this stuff works, guys. But all, all I know is there is the renewing of the mind. We come into the kingdom of God, and all, it, it's about agreeing with what God says about reality and then living from that place, right? So that's why I love how Paul, how Paul kicks off this passage. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's kind of the first imperative today. Continue steadfastly in prayer. In light of everything he's written, he says to this young church, continue steadfastly in prayer. And I don't know about you guys, but oftentimes prayer is about God solving problems, right? Prayer is initiated by crisis or something unfavorable that initiates prayer. But what Paul is saying here is continue in prayer, being watchful in thanksgiving. What I love, one thing I love that Graham Cook said, he said, Listen, Christians often use prayer to find God, but that's not what prayer is for. We find God in thanksgiving. But then prayer is agreeing with God about what he wants to make a reality. And so what Paul is saying here is like, listen, in everything you do, I want you to continue in prayer being watchful, but from a place of thanksgiving. Now, this might be one of the more important words that you hear today, because I, I think, I, I, I would suspect that if an alien came to planet earth and observed us, um, they might conclude oftentimes that we're praying and that we're watchful, but we're we're watching for bad things to happen, not watching with thanksgiving. They would come say, wow, these guys like to pray, but they're praying from a place of when everything falls apart. Paul's not saying continue in prayer being watchful, watchful for every crappy thing that might happen to you. And then let that fuel your prayer life. He's like, no, being watchful for things to be thankful for. And this is, guys, this is like such, this is such an important thing for us in light of what I was just, these, the stories I was just sharing earlier. So much of the kingdom life is about reverse engineering our life from what God says. And we, prayer is not a place for us to go and just Expect God to be a problem solver. It st- problem solver. It starts with us entering His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. There's too many believers that are waiting for things to be thankful for, instead of choosing thanksgiving in the face of whatever they're in. Let me say that again. There's too many of us that are waiting for things to be thankful for until we give thanksgiving. That's why we call it a sacrifice of praise. It's because we're, sev- we're, we're, we're choosing to enter into something before we have it in, in, our, in our reality. 
And I'm not saying that there's not bad things that happen. I'm not saying it's bad for us to come in times of crisis. Listen, it is so unbelievably important, just like we were during worship. It's so unbelievably important that we are honest. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness wherever we're at, in our disappointment, in the stuff of life. I am not downplaying that. But Paul makes no bones about it. I mean, his instruction as it relates to prayer always involves thanksgiving. Here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians. He says in verse 16, Rejoice always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so Paul's saying, listen, when you, when, if you're going to continue in what I've encouraged you with, you need to pray watching for things to be thankful for. Keep your eyes open. Continue in prayer, observing your life through the lens of thanksgiving, through, uh, uh, observing your life through the lens of what has God already provided? Who is he and what has he done? What has he already said is true? And begin to thank him from that. And in the middle of the thanksgiving, there is provision for you to appropriate into your life. And, I, and I'm convinced at this point in time, for me, it's, it's, this has been a huge message from the Father to me. It's like, listen, your breakthrough, you always talk about it as, it's, as if it's off in the distance somewhere, as it's this thing that it's in the distance. Your breakthrough is not, it's never in the distance. It's always, breakthrough is not a moment in time. Breakthrough is a person. Breakthrough is the person of Jesus. And so, yeah, breakthrough happens, it cracks into time and place, maybe in your marriage or your finances. It, it comes in places that we pray for. But until we can choose to thank God for what's available to us right now, we'll never be able to appropriate what he's already said is true. It's not a thing reserved for a distant future. It's the kingdom of God is at hand. And our ability to see it, to be watchful and thanksgiving, and to take it, get our hands on what's in heaven, to pull it down into earth, is our ability to be, to be able to express the goodness of Jesus and the breakthrough of the kingdom life. Is, is what I'm saying connecting with you this morning? This is, it's a change in thinking, guys. And we have to get this. We have to get this. I have to get this. We have to get this. Thanksgiving is the posture of our hearts through which we approach, approach God. No, it does not ne- negate, like we were talking before, it does not negate disappointment. It just means that when we walk through disappointing things, we don't have to trust in them as ultimate reality. And, I, and I, wonder if, I wonder if part of it is sometimes we see the circumstances as opaque. We see them as, as things that we have to get around versus seeing them as transparent. We get to see through the things. We don't neglect them, but we see through the things. And how do we see through? We, we see through the things of our life through an attitude of thanksgiving. Amen? You guys can go home now. God bless you. This is how we ought to live. And, and just in case Paul thinks that, just in case anybody here thinks that Paul is painting over things with rose-colored glasses, as if he's too optimistic, he has to continue in this thanksgiving, in this watchfulness, by reminding them, by the way, I'm in prison Right? And he says, I want you not just to pray watching with thanksgiving, but I want you to pray for us, him and Timothy. I want you to pray for us as they're in prison that God might open more doors for what got us in prison. How ridiculous is that? But Paul's saying, listen, 
I'm encouraging you in Thanksgiving, and I can do that because I am in a Roman prison right now. I'm writing, I'm writing to you from a pit with a candle, or however that worked, right, with the scribe. And he says, I want you to pray for me that I might continue to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And I love that. And let this be an encouragement to us. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastors. Pray for me. Pray for others, pastors and leaders in this region that God might continue to open more doors. And as I pray for you, as you are a minister in Jesus Christ as well, let us pray for each other that God would continue to open doors. And I would even go as far to say, just like Paul is, open doors that might get us in trouble even again. It's kind of crazy to say, to tell somebody, listen, open more doors that got us into prison. We want more of those, those types of things to happen to us. Can you just pray for that? That's wild, but come on, what if we did, right? I dare you, pray it for me. I'm just going to say, I, I know that's a huge risk. Pray it for me. God, open doors that are risky, that required boldness and courage to walk through so that the mystery of Christ can be revealed to more people with clarity and with wisdom and with power. Amen? Pray for your leaders. Don't forget to do that. He says, pray for me. I may make it clear. As Paul wants people to understand. And so not only are we praying for each other, but he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And those are really the two imperatives in this passage. Continue steadfastly in prayer, number one. Number two, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I want you to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, there's a lot of ways to walk in wisdom. In this particular passage, she seems to be emphasizing speech and language, the way we talk, the things that we talk about, the posture from which we talk, how we are flavoring our speech. And and particularly, this has to do with an evangelistic nature, just as he's praying for more open doors to, to proclaim the mystery of Christ. What he's saying, like, listen, be wise in your interactions with outsiders. Pray that God would open more doors, and then when those doors open, be there ready for them. He's talking about evangelism. Now, most stats would indicate that Christians today aren't very excited about evangelism, Right? Like, it's like fasting and evangelism. Those are like the two things that we kind of avoid, like the plague these days. And why? Because we probably have very wild experiences with this idea of called evangelism. You guys know what I'm talking about. We've had bad, I mean, it's left a bad taste in our mouth. Maybe you've been the recipient of a, a zealous evangelist, and whatever that involves being thumped on the head with the Bible, right? Maybe you've been that. Maybe you still are. God's grace to you today, right? And, but he's saying, like, listen, be wise. And so, but the thing is, we have to remember that every time there is an abuse in the church, there's always a pendulum swing, right? So if your experience has been with evangelism, this overzealous Bible thumping, not really loving, just more about getting the content out into the air with a bullhorn or whatever medium, might be involved, and you're thinking, I'm not doing that. That's not love. And so, right, the pendulum swings the other side, and then what do we do? We just end up not saying a whole lot of anything with our speech. Now, we live with our lives, but here we're talking about the way we use our words. And, 
And so what often happens is we hope that, you know, we're going to live with people and hope by osmosis that somehow they connect the dots, that we're Jesus followers and he has changed our lives. We're hoping that they'll just see that. Now, hopefully they will in the way that you love, the way that you extend kindness and compassion and demonstrate the power of God, right? The way that you model your marriage, the way that you talk, right? Hopefully they'll see that. But there comes times where what Paul is saying is like, listen, wait for these seasonal times. He said, make use of every opportunity. Every opportunity is that, that word kairos again, which some of us know the word kairos is a word for time. It's a moment in time. It's a breaking open in time. So he's saying, listen, as you're with outsiders, those outside the faith, those who have not yet put their trust in Christ, what I want you to do is wait for, you know, wait for the opportunities that are both seasonal and seasoned in nature, so seasonal in the sense of wait for that right moment. And when that right moment comes, speak the gospel. Right? And as you speak it, speak it with seasoning. Let your words be salty, full of zest, pungent and powerful, right? Not able to be ignored, not bland. Make the best use of time, Right? And so this means that we have to understand, we have to, Erwin McManus said it like this, we have to be, have, both have good theology and good anthropology. We have to understand God and actually understand the people that we're with, meaning you have to know what they care about, know what your neighbors care about, know what motivates them, know what they're scared to death about, know what keeps them in certain patterns, begin to study and to watch. This is the watchfulness part. Watch the people in your life and begin to notice what makes them tick and how they make decisions, and from that place begin to ask the Holy Spirit in, in an attitude of thanksgiving, Holy Spirit, what is the good news for them today? And so as we begin to rehearse good news and what that sounds like, it's important that we know how to apply that, right? Sometimes we think the gospel is simply God forgiving our sins and going to heaven. Now, who is thankful that God has forgiven our sins? That is such good news, Right? But the gospel is more than that, too. It's also more than that, right? So if you talk to a neighbor and they said, man, I just, I'm just really lonely. I'm, I'm having a hard time connecting with people and my family, you know, my kids have all moved out of town and uh, I just feel really isolated. And then you turn to them and say, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. They're, they're going to be like, what? What does that mean? No, that's good news. It's just not the right good news for them in that moment, Right? It's true that that should be good news for them, but most people don't know they have sins today. So the way that might work is, first of all, demonstrate to them what it looks like, what love looks like, invite them over, you know, begin to model what the gospel looks like, but then when the moment opens, say, listen, I believe that God in Christ has adopted us into a family. And the reason that I love you and that I want to be with you is because he has invited us into a family. In his family, everybody belongs. There's a seat for everybody at his table. That's good news to someone who's lonely, that God has set us into a family, right? My wife was talking to a friend just the other day, and she was really struggling with her marriage, and she doesn't know the Lord. She's just saying her marriage is a wreck, and she doesn't know if her husband loves her, um, and, and they're just, she's got a lot of questions, and, um, and so my wife was trying to encourage her and just, just, she was trying to speak good news to that kind of bad news. And, 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 and Megan was, was trying to emphasize to her, like, listen, my marriage isn't perfect either, but what keeps me going is knowing 
how much God loves me and then being able to love my husband from that, right? Now, if Megan had said to her, you know what, that's, I'm so sorry your marriage is, is bad, but guess what? God is your provider. It's like, okay, that's true too, but what she needs to know, maybe what we need to know in that place is more, the good news sounds more like, no, Christ has made a covenant with each of us that is unbreakable and unstoppable for all time, and he sealed that covenant in his blood on the cross. Now, you might not say that just like that to your neighbor, but you can say in your own language, in your own tongue, you verbalize the good news of how good Christ is and what his love means to you in your life and how unfailing his covenant has been to you and then how you can demonstrate that in your marriage as well. So that's starting to sound more like a good news that's appropriate. You guys hearing me today? And so that's the thing, the cool thing about the gospel is we proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, it touches every part of our life. It's not just about forgiveness of sins. The gospel touches our money, our marriage, our sex life, our friendships. Every part about our life, the kingdom of God touches. And the more that we can become familiar with the language, and the way we speak, the more it begins to permeate the atmosphere. so that our language, again, is not bland or boring. That's the thing I love about Jesus. There's a lot of things that could be said about Jesus and the, the responses he evoked from people, but nobody ever said he was boring, right? He made a lot of people mad, but nobody said he was boring, right? Nobody, he didn't end a sermon and someone saying, yeah, what was the point of that? Like, so what's the next step? You know, like nobody ever did that with Jesus. Like he hit, people marveled. They were astonished. He, he agitated them or he comforted them. There was always a gift in that moment through his speech and the way that he spoke. And I love that, that his speech was not bland. His, his speech was salty. We went to this great restaurant last week called the Mercantile in Denver, one of our favorites. And it's at Union Station. It's beautiful. It was an amazing meal. But what if I told you, if you were to ask me, so what did you get? What was so amazing about your meal? I said, you wouldn't believe it. I ordered pig and potatoes. It was amazing. You'd be like, I'm not going there, right? Like that doesn't sound appetizing when I say it like that, right? But what if I, what if I told you this? said, it was this amazing restaurant. I ordered this pan-roasted pork tenderloin with potato pierogi, Polish sausage, caramelized cabbage, and charred onion jus dribbled on top, right? And the pork was seared perfectly on the outside, on the inside, just a perfect cook, that as your knife went through it, it cut it just like butter, right? And as I combined the flavors and took the fat of the pork and the sweet caramelization of the cabbage and the acidity of this onion, this charred onion jus sauce, and I put it all together, it became this culinary trifecta that as I took every bite, it caused every single taste bud to erupt in applause. <laughs> right? So I say that, now what are you thinking? First of all, okay, that was strange. But second of all, I could eat that. <laughs> I would go for that, right? 
And it's funny because it's like when you start, we start thinking about this, our lives, do our lives and our speech make people wonder? Do our lives and our speech make, people, make people's mouths water for what's available in Christ Jesus? If it's true that we've tasted and seen what's good, how are we talking about what we're tasting and what we're seeing? Now, what I'm not saying is that Jesus needs PR. He doesn't need us to be his sales team, right? He doesn't, make, he doesn't need us to just get fancy with our language just to make him look better. No, the, the, the encouragement here is using your words, how would you describe what you've tasted and seen in Christ? If you've experienced his love, why for you? You don't have to use eloquent words and all the fancy stuff, right? Just for you, how would you describe what his love has meant to you? Why did you need his love in that time of your life? If you've received healing in your life, if your body or your heart has been healed, why did that mean so much to you? in that time? And are you prepared to talk about that in a way that's flavorful and full of life and full of zest? In a way that when when people are listening in, they're saying, wow, they have tasted and seen something good. May we become that kind of people, right? And Sarah, you can come on up. And so our conversation, just read this one last quote. In the kingdom of God, what we're praying for, what we're after, where the mark is, is that our conversation would preserve joy, the joy, dignity, and wonder of life. And that should be a regular part of believers' interactions. Words that stain and smear are unworthy of disciples of Jesus, but words that cleanse and purify were to be on the lips of the Colossians, and are just as desperately needed today. And what comes out of the mouth of a believer should be witty and lively, bringing flavor to those around them. The the Christianity that stodgily depresses or unimaginatively bores people is too common. But the Colossians are commanded to bear the name of Christ with piquancy and zest. So this morning, let's take a moment to respond to the first part of this passage. To be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. And let's just close your eyes around the room. And I, let's ask the Holy Spirit to in the, the minds of our hearts to be able to show us scenes of our lives, whether good or bad, that we can bring a prayer of thanksgiving. And begin to thank the Lord. Be filled with thanksgiving today.
as we're in this place being watchful in thanksgiving ask the Holy Spirit for a name somebody in your life who might be considered an outsider someone who hasn't taken a step of faith towards Jesus someone God has gifted to you in your life and just you can even say their name out loud if you have And begin to thank God for this relationship. And I just, let's begin to ask God for opportunities to speak and to declare the mysteries of Christ. Take the hand of the person next to you across the room. One of the great things about being present here is that while we live in a digital age, you can download a sermon, you can download some worship music, you cannot download human touch. And it is a linking of arms, it is a declaration that God has, Christ has a body on earth and we are part of that. I'm going to pray for you, and as I pray for you, pray for each other. We're praying that God would open doors for us. I thank you, God, as a body of believers. We thank you that as we leave this room, we are stepping into your mission field for us, that we're going out to the places you have assigned us across the front range of Colorado. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that each of us would be reminded as we leave of what we have tasted and what we have seen of your goodness. And God, I thank you, God, that as we talk and as we speak and as we proclaim, as we declare and as we pray, as we prophesy, as we use the words that in the breath that you've given us to announce back to our neighbors and our friends who you are, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for imagination to fill our tongues. We thank you, Lord God, that you have made us into a people erupting with thanksgiving, seated in heavenly places with the ability to declare and the ability to invite. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, to put new words in our mouths, Lord God, that would cause people to wonder who you are and respond to your goodness, Jesus. We thank you for language that is salty, language Lord God, that is seasonal, that shows up in the right times. And God, as moments open up at work, I thank you for courage and boldness, Lord Jesus, to speak as we ought to, to speak your truth and your words and your compassion at the right time and in 
the right way to the glory of God. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we do that, your promise is to go with us, Lord God. We love you in this place. I bless all of you as the people of God, us as the people of God. And we thank you, Jesus. We received your gift of grace this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. So here, here's what we're